Do you like horror? Sci-fi? Superheroes? Comics and adventure. SunsetCrypt.com has you covered. With reviews and articles. Two associated podcasts. Hot damn! Topics on a ton of bullshit and all geekery grounds with Crypt Keepers Curtis Sturrock, Steve Brown, and Jeff Smith. SunsetCrypt.com. Only the reader knows what awaits them. His name is Curtis Durrock There's not much that he won't mock But he'll talk to his friends about sex and rear ends Yeah, it's wrestling with myself Some know him as Scotty O'Shea And he's really into ass play Steve Brown tags along and Mello wrote the song It's wrestling with myself Wrestling with myself Sometimes he does it by himself Discussing wrestling in movies Drugs, hookers, and boobies It's wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself On a Friday night He's got his flashlight It's wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Discussing wrestling in movies Drugs, hookers, and boobies Myself. Whoa, whoa, wrestling with myself. Whoa, whoa, wrestling with myself. Discussing wrestling in movies, drugs, hookers, and boobies. Wrestling with myself. All right. Jesus, I could have at least had this queued up before we go. All right, one second. Work with me here, people. Where the hell is it? Contact. Got him. All right. The line while your call is completed. Long distance charges may apply. Great. John Atlas? Scotty O'Shea? What's going on? You're on the Wrestling With Myself podcast. Oh, finally. I know. I made it to the big time. <laughs> well, if this is your version of the big time, I apologize and feel sorry for you. Well, you know, I just want to do a couple more views than Trent Gibson, and, you know, I'm a happy man. We just got to get past 13 to beat Trent. I think it's possible. All right. That's, that's not bad. <laughs> So what's going on? I hate to, I, I almost feel guilty we're doing the podcast today because, um, out of all days I was driving home, it's my temperature, my uh, thermometer in my truck said it was 24 degrees. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to kill daylight with him. He's going to be, want to be outside on this gorgeous day, like the nicest day we've had all year. And he's got to talk to me on my fucking bullshit podcast. Well, you know, I've wanted to do the podcast for quite some time, but I made sure to get all my workouts and my outside routines done before I got on the phone. Okay, I'm happy to hear that, because I genuinely was like, 
at around noon when I was looking outside, I was going to send out a feeler to you. Be like, hey, if you want to reschedule, I totally get it. But then I didn't want you to think I wanted to reschedule. Oh, that's <laughs> totally what I would have thought. Oh, I'm getting debooked. I'm, I'm, I would feel the exact same way. So I'm genuinely happy we're doing this. I'm super happy you reached out to me and asked me to do this. I'm sorry we couldn't have done it a little sooner. But I'm telling you, you asked me at this one time in this entire lifespan of the podcast where I actually had people booked week to week. You, you had it lined up and I, there was no spot available. It was incredible. But yeah, man, I'm really excited to talk to you because uh, I've said this many times. I don't know a ton about you, but every time we see each other, we get along like gangbusters and I'm just excited to learn about you. I know. I, I, you just have this kind of like aura about you. And I don't mean this in, a, in like, a gay way or anything like that, but, like, you're just, you're such a good dude in the locker room. You're happy to be around. You're great coming up with ideas and psychology when it comes to matches. And I feel, like, I know we've only been in the ring together a couple of times, but when we are, I feel like we haven't really scratched the surface or gotten to where I think we're, we can get to when we get in the ring with each other. Holy moly. I almost want to end the podcast right here. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Oh, I was I was actually watching some old tape of you. Uh, for, I think it was 2017. You're doing Hogtown? Uh, which one was Hogtown? Was that uh, VCW? You were wrestling Nick Watts. Oh, sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. But I mean, like it was a, it's a small venue and you like, but there, there's probably maybe like 50, 60 people there. But when you came out, you're over Like we're over. Oh, better days, bud. Better days. Those were the glory you, days. You were, you were flying around. I was like, God damn, Scotty. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm getting uncomfortable with all these great compliments and I genuinely do appreciate it, but we got to talk about you. All right. And what do you want to know? Well, I kind of want to start, I don't want to say from the beginning, but I'm doing my limited research I do on everybody, which <laughs> which consists not. of me looking at your Facebook profile page right now. Oh, that's terrible. That, i got to change that. Now, are you a globetrotting guy? Because it currently says you live in Vancouver, you studied in Manitoba. I thought you were from Toronto. I, so I am from Toronto. I went to the University of Manitoba. Jesus. I played. I played for the BC Lions in Vancouver. What? And then I lived out there for a while, and I got shot in the leg, and then I became a pro wrestler. Oh my God! This is gonna be so great. Okay. Yeah. Let's go back then. I knew you played football. Right. I didn't know you played CFL. Yes. Take me through that. Like, what position you play? Like, honestly, I love football, and I don't have a lot of friends that really get into it like I do, so I kind of just enjoy it uh, by myself. I'm, I also don't start off the conversation as much as I could. But, like, take me through, because I'm assuming football might have been your first passion. Um, Wrestling was always something I wanted to do, mm -hmm. but, like, I don't know if you had the same thing when you were younger. It was just, like... You never knew how to get into it, yeah. It seemed, or like where to go, or like who's training. Or, yeah, it seemed unachievable, right? And it was just like, well, you know, you hear Bret Hart, and 
through Hart and Calgary, and it's like, well, I'm not going to go to fucking Calgary. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, I didn't, didn't really know or have any ins. And then I always remember Jim Ross saying, like, you know, oh, he's got a football background. Oh, he went to this college, or Stone Cold Steve Austin went here, and they went there. And I took a liking to football at a young age. Uh, my dad played. Um, and so I always wanted to play. I ended up playing wide receiver. Holy moly. And so when I was in high school, my grades were okay. Mm-hmm. They weren't the they weren't the greatest. Like I was a C plus B C plus B minus student. Oh, we're two, we're two of the cut from the same cloth. Okay, good. Um, and I remember when it was coming time to like you, you had to apply for universities, and you had to. I think it was like seventy five dollars. You had to apply to whatever universities you want to apply to, and I was like what the hell? I'm like, I'm not applying to a university. <laughs> so if I want to go, it's like, they're going to recruit me. Like, that's how confident I was in my skills and my abilities at, on football. Holy. I was like, no, I was like, no, 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 no. They're going to recruit me. Like, I'm going NCAA. <laughs> uh, I, I'm the bee's knees when it comes to football. And I ended up, so what ended up happening was I played for Team Canada back in the day. Okay. Um, now, this and, is in Toronto, right? Yeah, so, okay. like, there was, like, I was, like, growing up, I was I ended up playing on, like, Team Ontario, and then you'd play all the other provinces. Okay. And I was, like, kind of top, I was top tier, especially for my position at that time. And then um, through that, I got selected to play Team Canada, and what that was was just, it wasn't, we would go around, and we'd, we'd literally play, like, Team USA, Team Japan, Team Mexico, so Team Japan and, like, Team Mexico were literally, like, the best players that they had sure. in the country. Yeah. But when it, came to, when it came to, like, Team USA, it was, um, the Super Bowl was in Detroit that year. Okay. So that's where um, the tournament was. So we all, everyone went to Detroit. But it was just the best players from the Detroit area that were comprised of Team USA. Okay. Because if it was, like, if it was real Team USA, we would have got whooped. Oh, like, they, football's a religion in America. Yeah, like the year before, it was in Houston, and like Texas football is just insane. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I've always wanted to experience it, but so, anyways, I ended up um, getting recruited um, and going to the University of Manitoba. Okay, and it was just like it was the first time a coach had flown in to see me and my dad. Took us out to dinner, gave us like this really nice treatment. Then they flew me out there to see the school. I got to stay with some guys, and I was just like, "Oh my god, like this is so professional. This is awesome." And I remember the coach telling me, saying, "Like, if you can exceed at our level and play here to go to the pros, it's it's not that big of a jump." Oh wow! It's not that big of yeah, it's not that big of a jump if you're if you can exceed here and play well here to go from. Um, university football to cfl oh they're like the jump is minimal but like if you're as good as you as you know you're as advertised you can do it and i was and that kind of sold me and it also sold me on the fact too that uh we flew to all our away games oh that's awesome getting you were getting that kind of pro atmosphere lifestyle like flying in day before absolutely in the hotel and then playing the next day yeah so you're, you're kind of getting into that pro mentality. And I was like, okay, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to be. 
and I ended up going there. And so I was 19 years old when I entered Manitoba. Now, in the West, they have, um, you can enter university, like if your grades aren't good enough, Mm -hmm. you can enter university as a mature student at the age of 24. Okay. So when I got, when I was on the team, the average age of my team was 20, 25 to 27. Wow, eh? And I was 19. So you're in there with like adults and you're just... I'm in, yeah, I'm in there with grown men oh. and like there's kids in the locker room and I'm just like, what the hell? Like you had to grow up real quick. No kidding. So I ended up... Um, Going out there, playing out there, I did really well my first year. Um, I ended up getting like I was a Western Conference Rookie of the Year, wow. and then uh, but my like everything to me was football. Uh, school took a huge backseat, mm-hmm. and I ended, so you had to get a your grade point. You had to have your grade point average at a certain amount. So uh, I was on scholarship too. Um, so if I if my grade point average, I think it was like. Two point two point three, mm-hmm. I think was a great point average. I'm not sure, um, but my first year, I was I was barely going to any of my classes. So all I wanted, all I did was football. <laughs> I, so first semester, like I'm getting my, my 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 parents are looking at my grades and they're like, "What the hell are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, clearly not going to class." <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, if you want to play, like you got." And then like my coaches and everybody had to really like sit me down and be like. Look, you're good, but if you don't play, then that, no one's going to know how good you are. Fair enough, yeah. So it, it, it doesn't mean anything. And so that year, I ended up having to stay out in Manitoba, and I had to do summer school in Manitoba just to get my grades up. Jesus, eh? and then so I could play for the so I could play the second year. Wow. Second year ended up playing. Um, we won the national championship. Holy moly! That's amazing. Yeah, and that was in Skydome in Toronto. Oh my god, even better. WrestleMania venues. Yeah, not not quite 67,000 people there. <laughs> we didn't quite fill it up, but it, it was still cool to be on the field and be playing there. Oh, I I went to uh it was like a sex show. This is in like 2005. There was like a okay. sex show there. I was 15 years old. I was too young, but there was also live wrestling there. And I wanted to go just because I wanted to, like, touch a ring that was in the Sky Dome. I didn't care about anything else. It was just, like, that connection of being, like, Hulk Hogan fought right here, and now I'm touching a ring rope. So what was really cool was in the hallways of the Sky Dome, like, they have huge um, posters. Well, not really posters. Like, on the wall of certain people that have performed in the Sky Dome and everything like that. Yep. And they have the shot of Hogan and Warrior in the bear uh, with the bare knuckles, oh. like they're doing the knuckle lockup. Epic! And I was just like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" And like a couple of guys on the team, um, they they liked wrestling too, so they thought, thought it was cool. Other guys were just like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and then, how did you like transition into the CFL? Did you get recruited so from there? Then, so what ends up happening is like if you play four years of um, university football. Okay. Your name is automatically entered into the CFL draft. Oh wow! Yeah. So there's a bit of there's a bit of a process that goes into that. Um, like you want to meet. 
So there's an all-star in your third year. There's an all-star game. Okay. And that's like uh, they choose the best players from the East and the West. And it's called the East-West Bowl. They bring them all together. And then basically it's like a recruitment for all the CFL coaches. So all the CFL coaches show up and like the head coach, whoever won the Grey Cup the following year is usually coach of the West. And then the runner-up is the coach of the East. So you, they get to see you. They get to know you. You get to meet all these other coaches. And they do basic testing they just want to get around you kind of get to know you see if you can um you know impress them sure if they want to in- basically invest in you yep almost like uh, an uh i don't want to say i don't mean cheap in that way but like a quick like combine yes yeah pretty much and so i ended up so i went to, i ended up going to uh, no, I didn't know. I didn't get selected for my East-West Bowl, so I was pissed off about that. But I had a really good, I had a really good season. My four, going into my fourth season, like my my draft year, yep. I had a, I had a great season. I think I like had over a thousand yards receiving. Wow. Um, I think like 13, 14 touchdowns. I was I had a really good year, and so I had a lot of prospects on me. Oh. And the thing with me was like, I was. Big. I was I was big and strong, but I was also fast. So yeah. like, if I played on the inside, normally they bump a linebacker out to cover me. So I was faster than the linebacker. Wow. If they put me if they put me on the outside with a corner, I was just stronger than any corner that was coming up against me. I could just toss them around. Dude, I can't get so, over that you were a wide receiver. Like I was obsessed with football. I still am in many ways, but before I started training. Uh, like we said before, like we have no idea how we were going to get into wrestling. So I always wanted to be a wrestler, but I didn't know how to go that avenue. But I would always play football. And my dream scenario was always like, I wanted, a lot of guys want to be the quarterback and stuff. No, I wanted to be the wide receiver getting the fucking points, catching yeah. the ball. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you were li- you were essentially living what I was dreaming at that time. <laughs> yeah, and then, so I ended up doing that and then, my fourth year, you get um, there's the CFL there's the CFL draft, and you go to and you go do a combine, mm-hmm. and it it's just it is literally like your biggest meat market uh, <laughs> that I've ever. It was kind of funny being a part of it, and like you're so focused and you're getting ready and you want to be big, fast, and strong and all this stuff. And literally, the first thing they have you do when you get there is like everyone's down to like base their compression shorts. And then you walk out on stage, and then they just basically look at you and measure you. Oh, really, eh? Yeah, it was just like, okay, height, <laughs> this, arm length, that. I'm like, oh, it, it felt like such a meat market. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up doing well there. Um, my biggest, like, what, what, what really kind of set me apart was my 225 bench and my vertical jump. So my vertical jump was uh, thirty eight and a half, mm-hmm. which was wow. good. For, which was good for me. Um, I wanted to get forty, wasn't quite there. And then for two twenty five on the bench, I benched it twenty four times. Jesus. At that at that time was the most. It was the most out of both the CFL and NFL combine. What? So, like just for my position, for my position. Jesus, so out of dude. Every out of all the receivers that were going in that year, 
I was technically the strongest at doing 225. Holy moly. Because 225 225 is across the board, like, uh, the weight, right? Yeah. Like, that's so the that's one... What, Whenever I think of 225, I immediately think of NFL Combine. Yes. Wow. Incredible. So I ended up doing well, and I knew um, Winnipeg really liked me, Hamilton liked me, and BC liked me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had developed a relationship with Winnipeg over the years because I had played at Manitoba, and their coaches knew our coaches, and they would get to see me quite often. Um, so I knew they really liked me. Um, the BC liked me, but I didn't know how much. Plus, I knew they had a huge team at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to fit in on this team. Like, you know, sure. I, I'm playing, like, they had G. Roy Simon, uh, who's arguably one of the greatest receivers in CFL history. Oh, wow. And I was just like, I don't, I, those are big shoes. Like I, like I, I'm looking at trying to get some playing time. Absolutely. I, I, I know I'm not going to be playing behind that guy. Like he's, he's still had year, light years ahead of me. Um, but anyways, I ended up getting taken by uh, BC late in the, I think the third round. Can you backtrack for one second and just admit that you didn't want to play for Hamilton because it was in Hamilton? Oh, I hated the tie cat. <laughs> I hated the Titans. <laughs> uh, join the club. Oh my god! Like dismal after dismal season. Yeah. Like I, I love how they think like the Toronto Ticats thing is a rivalry. It's not a rivalry. Oh my god! We are grasping uh, at straws down here. I personally think it all falls down on the event coordinator. Whoever is running that, I would put all the blame there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, sorry, go on. No, no, I was gonna, I was gonna just ask you to continue with your story. I didn't mean to sidetrack oh, yeah. us with Hamilton. So, I ended up getting, uh, so yeah, I ended up getting picked up by uh, the BC Lions. Um, so I moved out to BC, and I was, I was playing over there. I ended up playing two years. Wow. Yeah, I ended, I ended up playing two years, and then my second year. I had uh, two really bad concussions. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so one, I got hit so bad. Like, it was, I was on kickoff return. and That's so and deadly. Guy, so deadly. Ugh. And me and another guy just ran head-to-head at each other and just smack, and we both went down. And then he was like, good hit. And then I was like, I went to get up, and I literally went to the wrong team's bench. Wow, really, eh? I was that messed up and like you can see it in my eyes like I'm just glazed over and I was just I was that messed up and then I came back too soon and I was just like running a little out route caught the ball um and then I just got hit in the back of the head mm-hmm. and I was out I was out again and mm-hmm. I was just like okay like I've been playing football since I was 12 years old mm-hmm. and I hadn't had any huge injuries like I never broke like thankfully I never broke any bones or anything but it was like two back-to-back concussions and I had been playing for so long I was just like you know what I had fallen out of love with the game absolutely I can understand that I just just didn't want to do it anymore yeah and then when you're feeling injuries like that because it's different if you break a hand and an arm once it heals it's essentially as good as new 
the brain and like what we learned about CTE. I don't even know if you were aware of it at that time, but it's just like it, the more you learn, the scary it gets now. Well, it was actually so the movie Concussion had just come out at that time, mm. and then that started bringing a whole new kind of light on concussions and everything. And I was like, oh, oh, I've been feeling some of these before. Like, oh, okay, maybe I should maybe I should slow this down. Now. And so yeah, then I I only ended up playing two years, and I was I mean, I was I was done after that. But I stayed in. I ended up staying in uh, Victoria. Yeah. Moved to Victoria. Um, I was living out there, and there was uh, a couple of like indie wrestling shows going on. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it was wrestling, and it was one of them had Gangrel on the card. Nice. And so me and me and a couple of guys um, that I work with, we went down to the show. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so cool, Gangrel. And then, but like, I had no concept or idea what indie wrestling was. <laughs> I love these stories. And I thought, just like, I'm like, I thought it's gonna be like WWE. Yeah, you're expecting to walk into an arena full of people, and yeah, and this like the show that I saw Gangrel was inside a bar, <laughs> and I was just like, this can't be. The right area. I, I have no. I, this this can't be it. <laughs> it was, and I was just like, okay, whatever. And then another one. Uh, the second one was um, Honky Tonk Man. Nice, classic. And oh my god! And he was licked up at the merch table. <laughs> it was so good because I remember going up to the merch table, and I'm looking, and I'm just like, this is a fucking Honky Tonk Man, like. He cracked Randy Savage, and he's got one. Of, he's got one of these photos, and one of his eight by tens is him pinning Randy Savage, and he sees me looking at it, and he's like, "I'm the greatest intercontinental champion that ever lived." <laughs> he's just like saying it to like guilt me into buying it, and I was just like, "Okay, hockey, sure, no problem." And I give him the ten bucks, and you know, he signs the photo, and he's like, "Don't you forget." I'm the greatest intercontinental champion. <laughs> what a fucking world. mark. I'm like still saying it. I'm just like, oh, this is so good. I love it. <laughs> Who are you trying to convince there, Honky Tonk Man? Me or you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still thinks he has the belt. Dude, that's so incredible. So, like, you saw that, and there's obviously, you walk into this bar, and there's that sense of, uh, I guess, a little bit of, like, the window to your sails. What makes you go like, you know what, this, I think this is what I want to pursue now. Okay, so then it, it was like always something, like I said, I'd, I'd watched it ever since I was a kid. My dad took me to my first show at Maple Leaf Gardens. I got to see Hulk Hogan. Ugh. I was super stoked. Um, like, Ric Flair gets clotheslined over the ropes and bumps right in front of me and my dad. My dad goes like, you're going down, Flair. <laughs> Flair gets up and fucking woos my dad. Like, I was just, I was into it ever since I was a kid. That's pretty incredible. I never, like, I never thought I had the size for it. I always thought, like, you know, I had to get on steroids or, you know, you were, you had to be, I always, because you see guys, first of all, I barely knew anything out of WWF. Sure. Like, that's what I grew up on. I didn't know WCW until really I got to university and, like, YouTube. Yep. And I gave YouTube matches and stuff didn't really know all that much about WCW and then I was like oh my god there's a whole other world to wrestling and so I'm going to the, I'm going to these shows and I'm going to a couple of indie shows and I'm looking at some of the 
indie guys that are on the show, and I'm just like, I'm bigger than he is. Oh, yeah. I, I, I look bigger than he is. And I was just like, I could totally do this. Like, I'm athletic. I know I can do this. And so I ended up looking up. Uh, so Lance Storm had a school. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I, I, the way I looked at it was if I want to get trained, uh, I was like looking at it the same way I looked at it uh, for football. Um, for football, I wanted to go to where I would have had the best option to get to that, to the, to the pro level. And I did that when I went to the University of Manitoba. So when I went to Lance's school, the way I looked at it was this guy's been where I want to be. He's been to the WWE. He's, you know, he knows what he's doing in the ring. He'll train me. I'll know what I'm doing. And hopefully, you know, kind of guide me to the WWE. Absolutely. It's a connection too. Right. And didn't really work out that way. <laughs> um, but I ended up going, so it was, his thing was three months of training every day, Monday to Friday. And I signed up to do that. And I ended up going out there and doing it. But just before I went out there to do it, I was, so I was working at a bar as a bouncer mm-hmm. and I got shot in the leg in a drive-by shooting. Okay. You're going to have to, re- you're going to have to rewind a little and get a little more in-depth about this drive-by because I don't know many people that have gotten shot, and since you're one of them, I want to know all the details. How does this happen? I've been working at the bar, so this is probably maybe four or five years removed from me playing football, Okay. and I've been working um, as a bouncer at a bar in Victoria, and it was called the Strathcona. And what it was was this was like seven different bars in one. Okay. So, like, they had a country bar. They had a nightclub downstairs. They had on the main floor uh, was like for the older people. Um, that they, they had a clubhouse there for them. Then there was a games room. Then they had a rooftop. It, it's like an all-over party joint. Sounds like it was popular as shit too. It was. Um, so on this particular on this particular night, they had run a rap show. There was a rap show that was going on downstairs. And, like, bouncing through the years, you attract a ton of different people during rap shows. <laughs> and uh, just, like, there's a lot of white people that think they're black, but they're not. <laughs> and this one particular individual shows up, and, like, one of my guys is just like, I don't think we should let him in. I'm like, well, he hasn't done anything. Yeah. And they're like, well, he... he the guy was carrying $5,000 cash on him. God damn. And, yeah, and they're like, you know, you know, he's probably going to sell drugs or something. I was just like, until you catch him in the act of doing something, you we can't let we can't do anything about it. I'm like, oh, look at it this way. Hopefully he spends all that money here in the bar, and, you know, the bar makes a bunch of money. Oh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great outlook at it. Because um, I was just like, he hasn't done anything. I can't kick him out for no reason. He's here to see a show. Let him go see the show. So he goes in there, this particular individual goes in and he goes to go see the show. And um, the show, the, the night's going fine. And I, there's a call over the radio, like he's falling asleep um, at his table. So like generally if a patron's falling asleep, they have to get him out of the bar. Sure, yep. So they go to go get him out of the bar and his girlfriend starts freaking out. <laughs> And they're just asking for assistance. Uh, and so, like, I'm at the top of the stairs. 
I know my guys can handle the situation. The girlfriend comes screaming and kicking up the stairs, and I'm just like, let her go. Don't, like, don't touch her. Let her go. She, they let her go. She comes at me. She starts kicking and punching me. <laughs> I, I just kind of stand there and take it and just like, she's, it was, it's like a child being frustrated. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, like, are you done? And she's like, yeah, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, can you just get over here for a second? <laughs> she's like, okay. And she was like totally cool and calm with it. And like, I couldn't see what was happening. Um, with like her boyfriend or anything, but like he was being brought up the stairs and he was uh, isolated from her. And I was asking, I was like, so can you tell me what happened? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know, your, your door staff were harassing him, blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, this guy goes, you know, uh, I'm going to come back and I'm going to shoot this place up. And you as working the door, you kind of hear that often. Sure. That's like uh, a common threat. I'd think that's a tough guy threat. Right. But Nine times out of ten, they don't really follow up on it. <laughs> and who was working on that one time out of ten? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yours truly. So um, he gets kicked, and he was a skinny little—he was like a skinny little kid. Of course. And I remember, like, he never like threatened me or anything directed at me. He actually came up and thanked me um, for like dealing with the situation and just kind of talking to him. And because I was just like, look, I don't know what happened. I heard you were sleeping. Unfortunately, we can't let you in. I'm sorry. Is there anything, you know, you're more than welcome to come back another time. Yeah. And he was just like, thank you for being respectful, blah, blah, blah. And then, but he was swearing at some of the other, the, the guys that had got him out. So not, he had no, like, direct threats towards me. So I was like, whatever, you know, this happens. And so this guy leaves. Give it, like, maybe 10 minutes and I hear what I thought was, I thought it was a firecracker going off. Mm-hmm. And so I look up the street and I, I don't, I don't see anything. And I look down the street and me and my other buddy, we make eye contact and we hear pop, pop. And we're just like, both our eyes are just like, Oh shit. We're being shot at. Jesus. And like, like I could see the car coming and I, I go to run to get in the door and there was three doors, but one of the, the door closest to me was closed, so I had to get out of the middle door. And I was also thinking, as I'm running, I'm like, I have a, I have a big back. I don't want to get shot in the back. I don't want to be paralyzed. Yeah. So I kind of, I ducked down. As I ducked down, I got shot in the leg. Wow. And the bullet went through my hamstring, pierced my right testicle, through to my left, and then it got lodged in my cell phone. And I dive in the door, and my buddy, who had gone in before me, he saw that I, like, I was like I was screaming, I'm like, I'm shot, I'm shot. He comes back, grabs me, pulls me down to safety. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was that. I, I commend you for being such an adult. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. You were shot. That is the craziest story I think I've ever fucking heard. But you said it pierced your testicle? That's right. The fact that you stop yourself from saying, I got shot in the balls, and say, I got shot in the leg and it pierced my testicle as well, is so much more mature than me and how I would handle this situation ever. I didn't make noise when you said, I got shot in the testicle, because I thought you were fucking with me. No, no, no. That's just, uh, yeah. 
got shot in the testicle. Um, that must have bled like fucking Britt Baker. You know, that, 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 for whatever reason, I was not bleeding heavily. Wow. And I have no idea why. Um, and like, I remember when I was at the bottom of the stairs, people, everyone else is freaking out around me, but there was a calmness about me. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to stay calm because I knew if I started freaking out, I thought all my blood would rush to that spot or if I'm freaking out. But if I stay calm and I'm under control and I can focus on everything, then I'll be okay. Wow, that's a fight or flight instinct right there and you fucking did the right one. And and, and that's, that's all I could do. And I was just like kind of worrying about what I could control. Yeah. And then I was just like thinking like, how bad is it? And I remember I was like, I could still move my leg and I was moving my leg in circles. Yep. And I was just like, okay, I can still move my leg. It's not that bad. Can't be that bad if you're still moving your leg. You're going to be okay. And then like, there, it's not like I was bleeding out everywhere. Sure. And there wasn't like there was blood. I'm like, there's not a lot of blood. Okay. It doesn't look like it's that bad. It's not, it might not be that bad. And then, so I ended up getting taken to the hospital and yeah, luckily uh, the bullet went through, through and through, lodged in the cell phone. Um, Holy so moly, man! This guy was on the run from the cops for two days, um, but he was—he was so smart, he was a genius that he decided to update his Facebook post <laughs> while he was on the run from the police. Shot a guy in the nuts day. tonight. Yeah, well, I don't think he knew he shot me, but he was just like. <laughs> All day, gonna run, gonna fight, uh, like something stupid like that. He posted oh. on his like Facebook, and so the people, uh, the people, like the cops, were able to find when he posted it, where he posted it from, and like he was caught shortly after that. Wow! Did you keep the cell phone with the bullet? I could not. That's uh, police evidence. Ah, oh, fuck! That makes sense. Yeah. No. So Sorry. That, keep going. Yeah, so that ha- so that happened. And then I'm thinking, I got to make myself, like, I got to rehab and be re- ready for um, Lance Storm in training camp. And oh, my. Like, I forgot. I, I forgot the lineage of how this went, too. This is even crazier now. So I, I'm, I got, I'm going for uh, pro wrestling school. I'm like, I got to get myself ready. And literally <laughs> a week later, I was playing pickup basketball, like, inside uh, one of the one of the gyms there. Yeah. And I remember I was like, I was running up and down the court, no problem, everything was good. And I was playing, and I'm the guy, the guy was guarding. He was just like, "Aren't you the guy that got shot?" And I was just like, "Yeah." And he's like, "And you out here playing ball?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's just like, "What the hell?" That doesn't even make sense. Like, you, I got no words right now. I, I, I took every injury I ever had and I took it as the wrestler approach. Um, like, if you're hurt, you, you're still going to go out there and do give a match. Yep. You know, you can still go out. If you can move, you can work. Dying, yeah, unless you're dying, then you can't go out there and give a match. Wow, man. Um, so that's the kind of approach I took. And then I ended up going out to... And, and Lance had no idea... Because uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell him because I didn't think he let me do um, his class. He only found out later uh, through a mutual friend, uh, Chelsea Green. She ended up telling him that she's like, "Oh, you know, Mike got shot, right?" He was just, he was like, "What?" 
And yeah, like weeks gone. ago. Yeah, and then, and then she was like, yeah, he got shot before he came out here. He's like, huh? He had, like, no idea. Okay, we got to backtrack a little bit. Did the leg injury just heal since it went through? Yeah, it was like the doctors equated it to going through a piece of meat. Okay. Um, so it was just like through and through, and it was like a little hole. Um, but there was nothing. And at first they had to, So I was in... I was in Victoria, BC, mm-hmm. and like the, the doctors out there, they didn't know how to handle it or how to deal with it at first. Sure, yeah. Because they had, they had never dealt with like someone who'd been shot before. Yeah, this isn't like, the not, states. Yeah, it's not it's not very common that someone gets shot in a drive-by shooting out there. And so I remember they were like the top doctor was confirming with a doctor out of California <laughs> on what to do and how to like treat me. And at first they had sewn me up and then they came and like, they woke me up at like four o'clock in the, no, this is probably eight o'clock in the morning next day. And they had taken out the, uh, um, the stitches to like take out the, st- the stitches because if there's any sort of poison or anything with the bullet, it'll leak out. It'll seep out. Wow. And that's what they want. And that's what they wanted to like, make sure like everything kind of seeps out. And so like they were pushing on my leg and stuff just to make sure everything uh if there was any bacteria of any sort it would seep out oh so you don't trap it in there wow man yeah so what's your ball situation like well so you know how i have cancer right i was gonna get into that but i was fascinated with all these other fucking stories too yeah so then um like there's so I ended up having testicular. So I got shot on the right testicle. Okay. I ended up having testicular cancer on my right testicle. They removed that testicle, um, but what had happened was um, it had moved to my lung. Like it had formed like teratoma in my lungs, which are small uh, little nodules in my lungs. Okay. And uh, that had formed in my lungs, and there was a bunch of them um a plethora of them to the point like when i when the doctors saw me they're like how are you functioning like so so well they're like you should be coughing up blood and i'm like no I'm, I'm fine and then just they were just like the hell that's that that's crazy so they're like we need to get you on this so when so i ended up having my right testicle removed and when they removed it they had found out that it was 95 percent teratoma five percent cancer which is good because the cancer isn't that high. Yeah. Which is which is awesome. A teratoma though, left on left alone on its own, can turn into a cancer. Oh my god. So is it crazy to say that you getting shot in the balls may have saved you? I think getting shot in the balls is what gave me cancer. Okay, wow. Yeah. Holy like, I think I would have been way better off once I got shot if they just removed the testicle then. Okay. Then and there, and I think I would have avoided everything else. Wait, so when did they remove it? They, like, they fixed you up, they, and then they went back and found out that you had yeah, cancer? Yeah, so, like, so I, uh, I I get fixed up. I'm perfectly fine. I start wrestling, and then I start wrestling. Sure. And then 2017, like, my junk... Um, my right side is growing, and it's growing to the point where, like, fans at shows are like, 
Got a sock in your pocket? Playboy gimmick. So I'm just like rocking it. I'm like, no, this is all me. Oh my god! And it was all me with a huge freaking tumor. Wow, dude. Yeah. And, and so, like, <laughs> I remember when, like, when I went to go see, like, I was updated right away. They're like, okay, that's a tumor, and we got to remove that today. Oh my god. Dude, I didn't even put together that you were doing a Playboy gimmick while your fucking nut was swollen huge. That is, like, the most poetic thing in a terrible way I understand. But, like, what the fuck? Exactly. Oh, my God. And you had fans bringing it up. This is the funniest. I apologize for saying it's funny. I know it was terrible at the time. But this is incredible. And then... I, I, like, I didn't think anything of it at first, and then I was just like, after a while, I remember it was one show I did in Oshawa, and yep. I was like, this this isn't right. Something's not right. I gotta go get this checked out. Was it causing pain or anything? No, no pain. It was just like, it got to the point where like it looked like my testicle was like almost the size of an egg. Holy shit. And I was just like, this, this isn't good. Did you have a girlfriend or anything at the time to like be like, hey, uh, you you aware of what's happening? Yeah, I did. Who is currently not my wife? (laughs) Oh, perfect. uh, Was just like, you better get that checked out. That don't look right. (laughs) Holy shit, dude. Yeah. And then, so they took. So, if you don't mind me asking, because I'm no, I'm open. Because I'm me. They removed the testicle. Yep. Did they replace it? They asked if I wanted it replaced. Yeah. And I was just like, so what are you going to do? Put a marble in there or what? <laughs> the doctor was just No, like, they're going to put another hard-boiled egg just like you had. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was just like, you know what? I'm fine. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just ride with the one. I'm like, I don't want... Like, I thought it was weird if I had the one real one and then the other one. And I was just like, you know, I, I'm good. Yeah. I'll just ride with the one. And I think technically we only need one. You do only need one. So that's a weird thing that we just have two of these super sensitive things dangling between our fucking taint anyways. Exactly. So, oh. and to be honest, like, if you look at it, you, 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 can't, you can barely even tell. Oh, I bet. Not, like, first off, don't ever, like, you shouldn't really uh, look at anyone's ball sack too closely anyways. They're ugly on our best day. And, like... There's certain times, we've all experienced it, it doesn't even have to be cold, but, like, I'll reach down there, because I'm always playing with my balls or something, and I'm just yeah. like, is there anything even in there? <laughs> What's going on down there? Yeah, like, where are you guys hidden? Especially on a cold, a cold day. Oh, for, like, dude, this story is blowing my mind. I had no idea. I only knew, like, snippets of these things. Like, sure. how was... The cancer treatment, if you don't mind me asking. So... Actually, can I backtrack before I before you answer this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even backtrack. I just... Can you take me back to that day? And I understand this is probably a really weird, morbid question, but I, I'm curious, and I feel like if I'm curious, others might be as well. Sure. On the short list of, like, terrible things to ever hear, cancer is right up there. What was it like getting that, like, phone call or appointment, whatever it being, where you, like, get diagnosed? Like, I, it's a nightmare. 
So the first thing I said, like I looked at the doctor and I was just like, am I going to die? Yeah. And he was like, you're not going to die. And I was just like, okay. And then he's just like, you know, you, you have stage three testicular cancer. And he's like, there's no such thing as a stage four. It's highly treatable. They're like, you're not going to die. Oh. And I was like, okay. Yeah. But there's so much that goes into it, all this stuff. So they knew that 95% of what I had was teratoma, which was in my lungs. Okay. And with that, they, but they still, they still gave me chemotherapy. At the time, I had no idea. Like, I thought chemotherapy might kill it. Mm-hmm. Chemotherapy works on cancer. It doesn't work on teratoma. Oh, wow. So they gave this to me, and I was just like, at the time, I was just like, why the hell did you give me chemotherapy instead of just going in and doing the surgery? Mm-hmm. Like, I would have rather have had the surgery than do, deal with the chemotherapy. Sure. And they were just like, just in case I had gone anywhere like we always have to take precautions like we have to make sure that you're taken care of and like you know what's your best and like this is what we do so they gave me the they gave me the chemotherapy now the first time i did the chemotherapy i was down at princess margaret which was awesome they have a great hospital and i was doing the treatments and i was fine like i remember the first two weeks of doing the treatments i was I was fine. I was I was still going to the gym. I was still working out, but I just like it was it was so unknown to me. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know how I should be feeling, or like what I what I was doing was normal. Sure, you don't know right. what you don't know. Right, and so I'm like, am I gonna push myself too hard in the gym, and I'm just gonna like faint, or am I gonna die, or like how this? So I was cautious at what I was doing. Um, I wasn't going that hard in the gym and I was kind of like, I was still going, but I was just, I was more or less taking it easy. Absolutely. And I was, and I was just like, I didn't, I didn't know how to hate, like what was going on. I, and so I'm going through my treatments and whatnot. Um, I lose my hair and I remember, um, so once I, I was, I finished the treatments, I get, you get to ring, uh, the bell once you're done your cancer treatments. Um, so I did that and I'm like, I wanted to wrestle so badly. Mm -hmm. So I had been doing cancer. It was like September to beginning of December. So I did three months of it and, um, I did a Barry show. Um, and then I did a Greek count show Mm -hmm. and I did, I ended up doing the Greek count show a week after finishing my last, um, my last chemo mm-hmm. and oh my god that like it, because the chemo they were giving me it had a strong effect on my lungs let alone I the was, fact you had these issues with your lungs right so i was so gassed oh, and I, I was just like I, I i rushed this i should not be out here <laughs> um i was against joey janella and it ended up, like it was an okay match it's definitely not my best by any means mm-hmm. But um, I just felt that, like, if I was out there and I could do something, I might show somebody that's going through a similar situation that, like, you know, you can still you can still be out there. You can still do stuff. Dude, that is incredible. Incredible. So, yeah. And then how long did it take you, because you've been an athlete all your life, to finally 
uh, feel like you were back where you needed to be? So that was December. January, I have to go for lung surgery. Holy. So I go for my first lung surgery in January, and I have no idea what this is going to entail, how big of an operation this is going to be, what's going to happen. And, like, the way they're explaining it to you, it's, like, it's routine, easy procedure because they've been doing it their entire lives. Yep. I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel afterwards or they're, like, you know, you might be in slight pain, but you're a big guy. You should be able to handle it. Like, I've never had lung surgery before. Yeah. Um, I feel like lung surgery is fairly intrusive, too. Yeah, as you can see by the scars on my back. Yeah. <laughs> So I do the first I do the first surgery and routine surgery is supposed to be three three and a half hours. Okay. It took them six and a half hours. Holy. And my wife, or who at the time, is freaking out because she's waiting and she there nobody has come out to say anything. Nobody's told her what's going on or anything like that. So she's freaking out. She doesn't know what's happening. And the doctor comes out and she goes, oh, he's fine. He's perfectly fine. He's resting. And she's like, what took so long? And she go, uh, the doctor looks at her and goes, he has so much muscle mass on his back that it took us so long to cut through his muscle to get to his lungs. <laughs> oh, my God. Is there a better compliment? Surgeons? I, know, and I was just like, wow. <laughs> I do say so myself. <laughs> That's incredible. Holy moly, dude. Yeah. So, so sorry, you go, you go. Uh, so what ended up happening was, so they do that. My mom and my, like my family, they come in to see me and like, I'm flying, whatever. I go to sleep that night. Um, I wake up. So they, so you're supposed to be in a step down unit, which is where they monitor you right after surgery. Okay. And then you kind of get moved into your own room. Like they thought I would be perfectly fine they moved me out i didn't even stay in that unit they put me in my own room right off the hop mm -hmm. the next morning a nurse comes in to just check my vitals because that's what every day you're in there they check your vitals this nurse comes in and she's checking my vitals and she's like your oxygen is 50 percent oh. and i was just like what i'm like yeah i'm like is that good and she's like that's not good she's like are you okay i'm like yeah i feel fine and i'm talking to her like i'm talking to you Wow. I'm just like, I feel fine. And then she's like, this isn't good. And so, like, she called, and then I had a, all this team of doctors coming in. And so what had happened was um, they give you, you know those nose strips? Yeah. Uh, to put up your nose, like, give you oxygen? Yep. They had given me those. No, I'm not going to lie. I thought you were talking about the snoring strips that, like, Nellie would wear from time to time. But, okay, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> no, no, no. So I had these oxygen things up my nose, and I hated it, and I didn't like it, but they were like, you have to keep that in. This is protocol, blah, blah, blah. So what that ended up doing was giving my lungs a false sense of, like, opening up. Because I wasn't breathing on my own. They were giving me the oxygen to breathe. I, was, I ended up kind of almost closing off the lower part of my lung. Okay. Um, and so they thought they were going to have to do surgery. And I was like, no, you're not cutting me open again. Like talk to my doctor, figure this whole thing out. So my doctor comes, they figure it out. I had to be on like a ventilator for half a day. Holy um, moly, man. But I ended up, I like, it was like, 
they were doing so many tests on me. I ended up being fine. Um, but yeah, it was because I had these oxygen things up my nose and that's what ended up kind of causing me to not breathe properly. But after that, I ended up breathing fine and I, I ended up being okay. So has this whole COVID pandemic been terrifying for you? Cause it feels like, uh, you're uh, pretty susceptible to getting hit pretty hard if you were to come into contact. Well, I mean, yes and no. There's no real, te- like, thankfully now I've been cancer-free for over a year, like four surgeries later, um, removing like almost 60 tumors. Wow. Uh, the biggest one the size of a baseball for my lungs. Um so thankfully, going through all that, like, yeah, I've been very cautious, but I've also been super cautious because I have a newborn at home, too. Sure. And I just, like, you don't know what kind of effect it could have on a newborn. Absolutely. Um, and my biggest thing has just been, like, getting, you know, I, I want to I get my cardio to a certain point, and so I've just been focusing on that. So I can go for runs, I can do bike rides, and just focusing on my own cardio type of thing. Wow, dude. Uh, I don't want to, I don't mean to kind of keep this in a downslope of things, but I am genuinely curious with the passing of Brody Lee and him having like the lung infection or whatever it was, did that impact you possibly more so than everybody else? Cause it sounds like you dealt with something that could have been very similar. Uh, I don't know exactly what his cause of death was or like what had happened to him um it sounds like from like what i've read it's just that he had a pre-existing condition yeah uh i i I still don't know as to what that was and then for whatever reason it kind of acted up but yeah you kind of get worried of that for me um what ended up happening was so i go through my surgeries I, it, I went through my third surgery, and when I went through my third surgery, they had found a piece of um, teratoma that had transformed into a different type of cancer. Wow. And so then I had to go and I had to do chemotherapy again through uh, this different type of cancer, and they were hitting me with the strongest drugs of chemotherapy that they can give you. Like, I was getting too... I, for, I had to get... Uh, a needle basically put in my arm so that they could um, pump me full of, like, take my blood and pump me full of chemotherapy. Holy. And I had two, like, these two huge syringes size of, like, a horse cock <laughs> full of, like, red dye that they would inject in me. And this is just pre-COVID. And I remember when they were, the nurses were coming in to, like, give it to me, like, they're all... Bandit, like they have all this stuff on yeah. and mask on and I remember laughing one time and the nurse is like why are you laughing and I'm just like you're all covered up like this because you're afraid if this stuff touches your skin it can like burn you and I'm like but you're <laughs> injecting, it. injecting it into my pocket <laughs> wow man like and I want to focus on wrestling as long as you'll give me a little more time I definitely want to get into wrestling oh I I, I totally want to get into wrestling but i'm just i'm i'm so fascinated like you've lived 
quite a life already and you're still super young like and dealing with something as traumatic as that may be and now even having a newborn like how is your outlook on things now do you live almost like day by day because you've realized that like we're not promised anything yeah pretty much um you know i i i i I pray every day and i thank god that i'm here and that I'm able to do everything that I'm still able to do and like to go through everything that I've kind of gone through and still be on the other side relatively fine. And Um, you just have like, you seem to be uh, taking it all in great spirits. Like anything like this could make somebody incredibly bitter. And I don't sense that, nor have I ever sensed that from you at all. Like it's very inspiring. I, I just, I don't know why, um, I, ne- I couldn't, I, 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 I'm sure I had my moments where, like, I was alone, I would be alone, and I kind of cried by myself, Sure. and I'd have my own self moments, but then I'd just be like, get the fuck up, you gotta keep moving. Wow. As long as you can, st- as long as you can keep moving, you can keep fucking going, and, like, why are you stopping, like, nothing, and, well, a big thing was, uh, my dad, my dad was just like, cause like, I'm, I can remember crying to my dad and him just being like, do you feel fine? And I said, yeah. And he goes, cause you are fine. That's great. I love that. And he's just like, so don't fucking think otherwise. And like your mind can play so many tricks on you. Um, but one of the biggest things was like having a good support system. Um, beside me and I had my wife and my dad and my mom and my close family with me and I I can remember going to do chemotherapy and um, my dad being there with me and we were laughing so hard that we were crying we were just laughing so hard because we were making jokes with each other Yeah, and like I remember the nurse just looking at me like dumbfounded like how are you going through this and just laughing it off dude that is I love to hear that so much Patch Adams is one of my favorite movies laughter is the best medicine I've always believed that but I've never been in a situation like you so kind of almost hearing you confirm that like you can kind of like laughter is definitely the best medicine it's just that levity to lighten the mood and yeah I I, I love that man incredible yeah and so like I've and like yeah, at the time, like, you can do two things about it, like, when you're going through it, you can sit there and feel sorry for yourself, or you can try and enjoy it and have a great time, mm-hmm. and just, like, you can still laugh, you can still function, you're still a normal human being, you know, so. Wow. And yeah. then, that brings us to professional wrestling. Well, I, you've been involved at this point, but you graduate from Lance Storms Academy, and then you come back to Toronto, and is that kind of how it so went I, yeah so I finished up at Lance's school and Lance's, Lance was awesome and it was uh, it was cool because like at the end of it he was just like you know I can give you your grades privately or we can do it full as a class yep. and from when I when we when I first started I remember we started with like 25 kids when we finished there was 7 of us oh wow and I was just like, well, like I felt so proud to kind of be like a bet seven, but like, uh, like 
seeing how schools operate and everything like that, I could see, like, most for the first two weeks, all we did was um, cardio, aesthetics, and, like, weight, weight training. And he was just basically weeding people out for yep. the first two weeks. And that's just um, your background. That's what you've been doing since fucking 12 years old. Yeah, and I remember, like, the one of the things he had to do was, like, you had to run to the end of his street and back, and it was just, like, maybe over... Oh, a little under uh, 400 meters or something like that. Yep. And, like, going in, I knew I was in the best shape, and I just wanted to prove it to because I thought, like, if I prove it to him, you know, he's going to like me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's always that one kid that's, like, kind of, like, the class favorite that he gets to use to, you know, you know demonstrate all the stuff with. Sure. And I was like, that's got to be me. And so I remember, like, for two weeks straight, I, was, I, I came in first in everything that we were doing. And then on the third week, um, we're doing the run, and I just realized like, we're doing all this stuff, and I'm like, this is a fucking work. <laughs> like, he's just doing, like, it doesn't matter how hard I run, how much I do this. He's not, he's, he always picked this other kid. And it's because the other kid had, like, two years of wrestling experience and knew what he was doing in the ring. Like, I had no clue yeah so he's obviously going to choose the guy that he knows what he's doing yeah and so like i remember coming i, was, I remember <laughs> yeah. coming in after the ride one day and he looks at me and goes oh you didn't want to come in first i said no it's a work he's like, <laughs> now you're getting it <laughs> that's awesome yeah so we did i did that i did school and then um i moved back to bc because there was um eccw at the time yeah Oh, well, sorry, I should, I should say first, um, he had an affiliate, which was called PWA, out in Calgary, yep. um, that ran shows, and I remember going, like, you, as a student, like, you'd go and you'd help set up the ring and stuff like that for the shows, and I remember the first time going, like, I knew, okay, so at this point, I knew what indie wrestling was, but I, I at least thought that, like, every ring was a WWF ring. Yep. Oh, I love I, that. I love that blissful ignorance. I had no idea, like, what these other rings were, and I thought every ring was just like a WWF ring, because that's what I'd been training in, so I figured it was just natural that everybody else has one Yep. if you're going to run a show. So I remember putting up the, like, when we're tightening the ropes, and I'm looking at the ropes, and the ropes are green because it's wire, it's or it's cable, but it's covered in garden hose. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I'm looking at this. And I go, and the guys are like, what, what are you looking at? I'm like, fucking garden hose. And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, how else are you supposed to cover the cable? And I was just like, I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, where's my red, white, and blue rope? <laughs> did you ever work out there? I did. So I ended up, so I ended up uh, we were setting up the ring one time, and then one of their guys was just, um, he was like, oh, which one of you guys knows how to wrestle? And I was just like, I can wrestle. And I had done wrestling in high school. Um, and so, like, he was, like, trying to, he wanted to, like, shoot around. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, shooting around, but then he, like, started to really go. But he knew I could handle my own, and I was strong. Yeah. And, like, I did, but I, I did it to the, like, I did it where I didn't take advantage of him. You just showed that you were not going to be taken advantage of. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, I didn't hurt him. It's a good and, move. Like, I, 
where I knew I could have and I didn't. And he goes, oh, you're good. And then he went to the promoter and he was just like, put him on the show. Wow. And then he's like, okay, he's on the show. And I was like, oh my God, like, I'm going to get booked. This is awesome. And then they're like, what are we going to call him? And he's like, do you have a name? And I'm like, I had not thought of a name at all. <laughs> I had no idea. And they're like, well, look at his physique. He looks like, he looks like, you know, who's the guy that carries the world on his shoulders? Some guy was like, that's Atlas. And he's like, Atlas. And he's like, what's your middle name? I'm like, John. And he's like, John Atlas. There you go. That's your name. <laughs> Dude, I love, that's like such a classic, old school way of getting your name, too. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And so... And it's really not a bad name at all, either. Well, I didn't even know that there was... And then I I didn't know there was another Atlas. Oh. Um, Phil Atlas, so I didn't didn't know of him at that time, because I was in Calgary, and he was in Ontario, so I was like, what are the chances our our paths are going to (laughs) cross? Little did I know. <laughs> and then what was it? it? Was shortly after that, you came to live with your parents in Toronto, or live yeah, close so to your then, parents. Like, so I, I rest, I'd been wrestling out. So I wrestled out in Calgary for a little bit, and then I moved to Vancouver, and I started wrestling for ECCW, and I was doing that. But the thing was, like, it wasn't consistent enough. They would run like maybe one show a month, mm-hmm. and then, but there was no other wrestling going on. It's not like in Ontario, you could go to, like, a different show every weekend. Yeah. And I had no idea. And then I remember I had one of my buddies, his name is Kenny Lush, and he was friends uh, with Psycho Mike. And he had talked to Psycho Mike. And Psycho, and this was at the time when, like, Psycho Mike was, like, very popular in Ontario. And I think he might have just had a WWE tryout. Okay. Not sure. Um, and... So he was like, yeah, you can wrestle pretty much every weekend in Ontario. Easy. Yeah, he was telling Kenny this. And Kenny was like, you should go back to Ontario. And then so I was like, all right, but easy for me. Um, So, yeah, I ended up moving back to Ontario. I was living with my uh, folks. And then I started to show up at shows around here. And the first show, it was a uh, squared circle show that I showed up for. Um, I just showed up and I started helping set up the ring and Jordan was like, Hey, you're on the show. You're going to be, and I was in a mat. It was, it was me, Tarek, Brent Banks, John Greed. Yeah. So I, I, I believe that was it. Yeah. Wow. Eh? Yeah. Good on so you for was- like having the balls to go to a show with people you don't, you have no like connection with going helping out doing things the right way because like i've driven to shows alone to shows where i know everyone and sometimes it's just like a little fucking hairy where you're just like man this feels so i feel like i'm uh i don't know how to word this but i i feel like i'm almost an out not even an outcast but like i feel i got no connections here i feel like that now (laughs) (laughs) no i don't I do. Uh, I, I feel like I'm like, oh, man, am I not supposed to be here? Like, like I want to go to shows and just, like, help show and wrestle and whatever. Um, but, like, I, I feel like that now. And then, so, yeah, I ended up showing up to the show. Jordan put me on, and I ended up getting in the match. And I remember taking, like, Tarek's, um, he used to do, uh, like, a jump-in, spinning uh, flatliner. Yep, I remember that. And I, I, I took that really well for him, and he was like, 
thanks, man. He goes, a lot of people don't know how to take that. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> like, I was glad. I was, I was very happy that I could take that move good for him. Yeah. Isn't it funny how the smallest things, like he, he, I'm sure he doesn't remember saying that to you or anything, but I've had similar interactions like that. Just like almost a passing by, hey, thanks so much for this. Thanks for taking it like this. And like you ride that wave of positivity. It takes you further than most people realize. A hundred percent. Like I just, I, uh, I'm totally like, just have an idea. Tell me what you want and I'll go out there and I'll execute it for you yep. to the best of my abilities. That's it. And yep. you know, like I want to make the other guy look as good as possible, uh, as humanly possible. Yeah. Like I always, I was thinking about this earlier this week and there's that famous story from it's WrestleMania 11. Yeah, it must be. It's Michaels versus Diesel. Yep. And, uh, Nash to this day says Michaels sandbags him on the finish because he tried to blow Michaels tried to blow up Nash well, that entire Michael match. Blows him up in the beginning. Yeah, and then I remember his interview. He goes, "If if you watch Shawn Michaels, he goes, Usain Bolt couldn't run those spots <laughs> faster than he did." And then he he like insists that Michaels sandbag the big power bomb finish. And I don't know if that's true. That is kind of a more old school way of doing business and stuff. Even though they were buddies. I've never looked at it like that. Like, especially if I'm going to lose to this move, not only do I want to take it well, I want to take it better than anyone ever has. Like, that's my right. goal. I, I 100% agree with you. That that culture back then was so dog-eat-dog, I can kind of understand it, but I'm happy that doesn't really exist now. Everybody is so unselfish to almost a point where we have to be more selfish. Yes. Like, it's almost I, turned the corner of us. It's gone too far. But it's uh, just because we're I all big fans. I get criticized a lot for that, for giving guys too much or, like, not giving myself. And it's just, like, I'm trying to make the other guy look good. And then the critique is, oh, yeah, well, what's he doing for you? It's like, well, like, I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's I get it completely. Also, I love bumping. I'm not one of these yeah. guys that, like, counts my bumps. I genuinely enjoy bumping, and I feel like wrestling fans now, the door is wide open. We all know it's a work, and, yeah, maybe I don't get in. I don't really have a problem with not getting my shit in. I can usually crowbar it in enough, but mm-hmm. I have no problem taking a guy's shit, even if I don't get a ton in, because I feel wrestling fans are smart enough now that if I take their stuff so well, they realize... The work, like the good work I'm putting in, and they respect me just as much as if I got in my fucking five moves or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I know, I, I know what you're saying. I agree that everybody knows it's a work, but I still believe that if we're doing it properly and we're doing it right, we can make the fans believe again. Oh, absolutely, like, absolutely. We we are. I, I believe in my abilities. I believe in your abilities enough that I know if we got in the ring, we could do something where they go, "Oh, was that real or was that fake?" My goal for the past couple of years has you been know, like, "Oh, was that real or was that fake?" Yeah, has been my. It's like I've really wanted to focus. Like I know I can do the high spots now. I know I can do the cool flashy moves. I know I can do the matches that I would enjoy watching. My my focus has been lately, past year or two, it's like, I want to convince people it's a competition. Yes. 
is I think that is something that we all do lack at times because just how wrestling evolved, it became more of like a, a high, show. High spotty. Yeah. And, and I think if we just dial it back a bit, but I like, well, like everyone shoots for the same goal, but I think social media has a huge role in that because everyone sees a gif or something of a guy doing some crazy shit and it's like, oh, I gotta get that because if I can get that, I can get this attention. If I get this attention, more eyes on me, you know, uh, maybe it rises my value or rises my stock in the world of pro, pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We're, yeah, we're in that culture of chasing gifts and stuff, but it's, right. it's just this weird thing because there's not a real big payoff. Yeah, sure, sometimes it gets you really noticed, but now, since there is so much of that like you go online i can go on twitter right now and within five minutes of scrolling i've passed probably 10 gifts because i follow so many wrestling things right so it almost doesn't stand out anymore because it is so common exactly and, and then when you do see the stuff where the lines are blurred you're like oh oh now i'm interested <laughs> well the videos tyson has been putting out lately mm-hmm. like it has been incredible like when he first started, got when he first got on his throne of like bringing back this golden age of pro wrestling, I thought he was turning into this bitter old man because we were off for a while and whatnot. And then seeing how he's presenting it now, and it's just like fuck, that is what we're lacking. You can mix the high spots in with this, but let's make it look like we're grinding each other down. Like exactly, I don't even like watching his videos because it makes me realize how shitty of a wrestler I am. I, I don't think if you're not a shitty wrestler. It's just it opens up to what we take for granted, which was what we should be doing, like facials. Yeah. So many facials. Um, you know, like I, I'm a bad, I'm bad for it too. It's like you're doing like I do the same facial almost every time. Like if we can mix our our face with different emotions, that helps the audience connect that much more yeah. to your character. I just. I kind of caught on to the basics of pro wrestling quickly. I knew how to bump. I never really had a problem with, like, um, ring positioning and stuff. I always moved around a lot. And I think since I kind of caught on to the basics of the basics very easy, I just focused on what I perceived to be uh, more, like, of the intermediate stuff, like the high spots and whatnot. And now it's just, like, looking back, I was just like, you can make a you can take a twenty five year career almost of what Tyson has done, and I'm not just kissing Tyson's ass because of everything that's happened lately. I don't want it to sound like that. Something happened. Oh no! You know what? I just heard something. Uh, it's probably untrue. Okay. But like, he's put in a career of basically focusing on the basics, and it shows how if you do that, you can stand out just as much as a Will Osprey. Just as much as, like, Akota Ibushi. The guys who are the best, like, high flyers, whatever, spot guys in the world. It all comes down to it looking real and uh, performing the basics with as much intensity as you would perform a fucking big high spot. Exactly. And I've been uh, kind of like you in a way. We're almost like you're so focused on the high spot. Yeah. Or so focused on so many other things that don't maybe really matter when we should be focused on the little things yeah i also think that like there's no really bad wrestlers anymore like every wrestler can perform a fairly decent 
above decent match now. Like, we're all capable. We're all pretty athletic. We all kind of work that same fast-paced style. And as great as it is, I think fans have tired of it as well. And that is why guys like Timothy Thatcher has really taken off lately. That's why things like uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport has taken off lately. People need a palate cleanser of something new. Because everybody's yeah. a great athlete now. Everybody can do Van Terminators. Everybody does springboard moonsaults. Like, we just need, need something to, new. They need to, that realism brought back. Yeah, and it's kind of an exciting time now. And I'm hoping when at least our area gets back to normal with the pandemic and stuff, I hope enough of us are, like, realizing this and give an honest effort to present something different. I, I, I agree. I hope a lot of people are... I know everyone's chopping up a bit to get in the ring, but I feel that people are creatures of habit, yeah. and they're going to resort to the same old stuff that they've been doing. Yeah. Um, I know for me particularly, I've been really watching a lot of old school wrestling lately, and just really focusing on those facials, um, really trying to work it work a body part, um, work different body parts, and, like, just nodding, like, writing out a list of, like, you know, different things I could work on an arm, different ways I could work it back, and just kind of just memorizing that Rolodex. I've really been, probably past couple years, really been fascinated, if you go back to that golden age of pro wrestling, the gorgeous Georges and stuff, if you yep. watch them, the heels in particular... When they're, like, bumping and feeding and flying around for the face, it's almost a controlled chaos with them. They look like... Yeah. Uh, they, they look like they're out of control, but they're not. That's it, exactly. Like, Stan Hansen had that as well. Bruiser Brody. Once you got them rocking and rolling, it looked like they were tripping over their own feet because they're kind of just getting punched around and stuff. And But it was all controlled. Like, they were professionals. Gorgeous George. I watch him sometimes, and it looks like a toddler is just running around a ring sometimes, but he's always where he needs to be. And that realism of just, because we all move the same too. We have the same mechanics to the bump and feed. Whereas you watch them, like it looked like they were literally being ragdolled around and the ropes were actually springing them back and they didn't want it to. Like, it's really fascinated. Yeah. They were also quite large men, but still. Yes. They, they definitely brought that sense of realism to it and... Like, when you and I were kids, they made us believe. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I, I do wonder that if, like, five-year-old me was to see one of my matches, if it would capture my imagination like me watching Bret Hart did. Which brings right. us to our next point. Okay. Bret Hart. One of the best of all time. And, you know, you begrudged his name. <laughs> I did, I did. Great wrestler, let's, I believe let's, he's a let's, shitty let's, person. Let's put, this in, let's, bring, let's put this into context here. Okay. Okay? So, you know, we were, we were both on that show yep. uh, for Square Circle. And now, as you say, the, the, the fans were lined up two miles long <laughs> to, see the, to see old Hitman. Correct. And I remember going in, and this was my second time meeting Brett, and I was just like, you know, uh, I, I walk up, shake his hand. He, you know, he was nice to me. He was great. He stopped signing to shake my hand. So I thought that was cool. That is very cool. Sadly, the two mile walk of people, he also stopped signing for at some point. 
Well, now let me run this by you. Put yourself in Bret Hart's shoes. Okay. Let's say you're Bret Hart. They have, there's obviously going to be a shit ton of people, but then there's also, they don't cap it on what is going to be signed. Sure. So, like, you got guys bringing, like, five or six things, and you're sitting at the table like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Then you catch wind, like, I don't know if you recall or not, but Squared Circle or someone from the promotion had made Bret Hart t-shirts. Oh, I don't remember that. So there was Bret Hart t-shirts made with his logo on it. Yeah, I'm sure but he it enjoyed said, that. It, didn't say, it said something else. And he got real. He got pissed because they were selling T-shirts with his logo on it, and he wasn't getting a cut of that. Oh yeah, okay. I I was unaware of that, but I can totally understand and justify frustrations there. So if you're if you, if you're in Brett's shoes and you show up to uh, do this show, you know you're you're being a good sport and all, and uh, you know the. There's 2,000 people, and they haven't capped it at however many people. You're already kind of irked. Then they don't cap it at how many things you're going to autograph. That gets you going a little more. Then you look over, and you see them selling T-shirts with your logo on it, and you're not getting a cut of that. You're just like, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. I, I understand. And uh, listen, I always like to justify things when I meet somebody or see somebody, and they're a bit of a prick. I always assume I catch them on their bad day. Uh-huh. But I do have zero tolerance for somebody, and this goes, I probably can't bring up many examples right now, but I have recalled this in my brain many a time in my life. This goes past wrestling. If yep. you are a person that just never fucking smiles... I immediately judge you harder than anyone else. And Bret Hart will not fucking crack a smile unless he's talking about Bret fucking Hart. I mean, that's neither here nor there, but that brings him back to his glory days. Look at all the tribulation he's been through. Uh, Yeah, that, that is true. Although up against your life story and your half of his age, it's... Seems almost uh, pretty fucking close. I even have a like, I have a story. So, um, Brett's kids trained with Lance at Lance's school. Oh wow! Okay. Same time as Brett's, you. Yeah. So Brett's son Blade, who's in um, the the documentary with him. Yeah, wrestling with shadows. Yeah, wrestling with the shadows. Um, he was getting trained by Lance on like the weekend. And Lance had asked me, he's like, hey, can you come down and, you know, take some bumps for him? And I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be freaking amazing. So go down and we're in there and, you know, taking bumps. And he can move. Like, he, the kid gets everything. Like, he can do all the high spots, no problem. Gets the awareness, everything, no problem. And then we were doing a drill uh, just on selling. Mm-hmm. And just, just before we started to do the drill... Brett comes in and he just kind of takes a seat and he, you know, he's like, and then Lance is like, okay, you know, go and do the drill. And so I'm throwing punches and kicks and stuff and he's supposed to tell around the ring. And Brett just gets absolutely pissed. And he's just like, stop, stop. So I'm like, I'm just like, oh shit, what the hell did I do? So I'm like, I'm only two weeks of training. Like, don't kill me. And he's just like, he's like, you sound like that? 
he's like, no one's going to believe it. He goes, that's bullshit. And he goes, he could kick me and I could sell better than that. And he's like giving it to his son. And I was just like, oh my God. And like, he, he was just, re- he was really hammering on like how to sell. And then he was just like, kick me. And then I was just like, oh, and then Lance is like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Cause like I was cautious. Cause I was like, I don't want, I don't want to kick the hit man. Give him another stroke. Yeah. So Lance goes and kicks him, and he, like, sells it, and then he's like, that's the way you sell, but, and, but like, he he takes it so seriously. Yeah, I could and tell. it's just, like, you know, when you've been in it your entire life, and this is how you fed your family, and this is what you how you were raised, like, I can, under, I can get it. I, I understand that. Like, his life was completely different than mine when I was growing up. Like, I had wrestling, Ninja Turtles whatever else yeah that's a that is a very good point to be honest i i hate to admit that you might have me on this one but that is incredibly valid that is what put food on his his table and like his entire gigantic family's table so that's a good point yeah that is so i i like to cut the hitman some slack well he is one of the best workers of all time and he does something as i get older i appreciate it more and more too i think i've talked about on this podcast but um, like it's classic verbiage in wrestling to say like play to the la- play to the guy sitting in the last row of the arena type deal, you know, play yep. to the nosebleeds, whatever it may be. Brett did that. Well, let me go back. We all do that. We're all very uh, animated with all our movements and stuff, and it's for good reason. I understand that wrestling isn't real, so we have to make it more theatric. But. Brett did this unbelievable thing, which very few people do. I find Okada does it. Uh, Bret Hart, I can't really think of others, but there definitely are. Where he plays and sells very subtly with certain things, yet still has a way to amplify it so the guy in the very back row can see it, if that makes any sense. Yes. Like, he doesn't sell around like a cartoon character. He sells around very realistically, uh, like not too animated, but just it looks like real life. Yes, and like if you're to go back, like uh, first of all, are you a Sean guy or are you a Brett guy? Okay, I was a Sean guy. Yeah, growing up because he did he did moonsaults and stuff, and he wore moto- motocross boots and stuff. I loved him. As I get older, right. with every passing year. Brett starts to get closer and closer. I'd say they're tied now, and I think they will stay tied for the rest of my life, if I'm being honest. That's a great way of putting it. And I, and I, I was a Sean guy. I, well, at first, I was a Brett guy. Then I was like huge Sean guy. And I was, and then now that I go back and I look back, I'm just like, you're right. It's a tie, and it's just like, I'm like you take for granted how good he really was. Absolutely, and yes. Just making everything look real. And, like, I can, like, my wife loves to watch wrestling with me, so, like, we'll go back and we'll watch stuff. And, like, you'll you'll see Sean. Like, Sean captivates you in the first opening seconds because he does a, he'll do a high spot that grabs your attention and then he'll slow it down. Whereas... Brett, like, Brett is methodical in the ways that he'll go into something, and it's more realistic and more real life. Yeah. It took me years, because announcers would always say this. Uh, they say, like, Brett Hart doesn't waste any movement in the ring. Yep. And as a kid, I used to just think that was just, like, 
some fancy commentator talk. It wasn't till I got older and I watched him and Daniel Bryan. They didn't wrestle, but I, I'm a huge Bryan Danielson fan. And uh, somebody on commentary for Ring of Honor said it about him. And I was like, oh, that's that thing they used to say about Bret Hart. They might have even been comparing them at the time. And all of a right. sudden, it was like a light bulb moment. And I was just like, oh, I understand it now. And now when I watch, they don't, there is zero wasted mov- movement ever. Everything right. they do has a purpose. And there's just something so satisfying while watching that. I, I, I agree totally. And it's, it's, I love being able to go back and just dissect and watch the matches and stuff mm-hmm. and just be like, holy shit, like, just so ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. Bret Hart is one of the few guys that you could drop him in any timeline of wrestling ever, and he would still be a main eventer. I always, I always think, like, what would it have been like if Vince decided to keep Bret and, like, would have got rid of Sean? Oh. Like, how... How would the Attitude Era panned out? Like, what would WrestleMania 14 have looked like? That would have been interesting. Yeah. Here's a okay. Here's something I've been chewing on for a while, and it's Please. not it's not going to go over well. Do you listen oh to any? God. Do you listen to any of Conrad Thompson's podcasts? I do. Okay, so. A couple weeks ago, Jeff Cole of Shooting the Indies was over. He, we were just having cigars. And the topic of Kurt Henning come up, came up and I brought up the Conrad Thompson podcast just because this past Monday they did an entire episode dedicated to it. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't gotten around to it yet, but yeah, go on. It's great. But I just want to say I brought this up before he kind of became popular this week with the podcast again. Just, I think Kurt Henning is very good. Great overseller. Uh Just the way you said it. Yep. I think he's very good. I think he is. And he has very great things about him. I think he is severely overrated. Okay. And now let me explain. Yep. I'm a diehard wrestling fan. I have watched minimal Kurt Hennig in AWA. And I feel like if I haven't watched a ton, most big wrestling fans haven't seen a ton either. Okay. What I have seen, it was great, right? He did a top rope drop kick. He was good. He, <laughs> he wasn't there that long. Then he came to the Fed. What yeah. year did he come? Like 89, 88? 88. Okay. 88. And then he was gone. He was gone in 94, was it? Uh, 90. No, but he was 93, and then the, he worked into commentating in 90. Well, he's gone in 94, but they brought him back in 95. Okay, so let's just say, because one year he just basically was a commentator. Yeah, so I think his, like, Lloyds of London thing kind of kicked in. Okay, so... And he was doing that till 96. Okay, so let's say from 89 to 96, let's give him five years of in-ring. Yep. He was, he was pretty good. M- more than pretty good, honestly. He, he, he had a great little run. Then he yeah. went to WCW, and much like a lot of guys who did WCW, went to WCW, they just did nothing memorable. Well, Kurt I think because he got that huge payday, you know. Sure. You don't really care anymore. Sure, and I understand that. And then after that, he comes back to the Fed, but he's older now, and he's fighting his demons, whatever, and we lose him. He's but demons. from 1980, was it 88 when he debuted? 
Yeah. 88 to 94 when he was still actively in ring. He had a lot of good matches, and he had, like, three great ones that are thought of fondly. Yet, he gets talked about in the same likes of the Bret Hart's of the world as the Shawn Michaels of the world. Maybe not so much, but I think people forget that he, for one, he didn't have the career, the the length of any of these guys. And I think we just think we fondly remember, like, two or three matches and call him one of the greatest of all time because he took a fucking couple bumps really fun. I think he is overrated. Wow. Yeah, I do. Okay. I have another one for you. I, I, I agree to disagree on that one. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, here's one for you. Dusty Rhodes. Oh. <laughs> I think is severely overrated. <laughs> now go on your spiel, though. You listen to mine. I'll listen to yours. So, as you as, much like you said with Kurt Henning, Dusty Rhodes is regarded as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And he could cut a great promo. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. He was amazing on the mic. He could captivate people on the mic. When the bell rang, I didn't see it. <laughs> and I don't know how many you can give th- off the top of your head Now, all I'm going to say, because I'm not going to, I can't disagree much. I've watched a lot of Dusty Rhodes in my life. Yeah. I can't say much stands out. I think he's looked at so fondly for the visionary he was, for the promo he has. But I think you're onto something there. Like, he. Like, let's take, let's take it, like, if you take the promos out of it. And if he's not Booker and booking himself in these top matches, like I watched a match the other day with him and Tully Blanchard, and Tully Blanchard like punches, has him in the corner and works him down. He literally just sits there. <laughs> yeah, he's waiting for his hot comeback. That's all he's yeah, doing. He's not, but he's not even selling. He's sitting there. <laughs> Did, I'm like, what the hell is this? I think I watched. I think it might have been Dusty and Tully too. I can't remember. But I was just watching YouTube years ago, and it came up like Dusty Rhodes. I think it was totally in a ladder match from like 87. And I was like, I got to fucking watch this. It is the drizzling shits. And I'm not just saying that because like the ladder match was new and they didn't know what to do. No, the match itself was fucking terrible. It's like four fucking minutes. And it's like, holy moly, people paid for this match at the time. And it is a ripoff. I like this. I agree with you. and if you if you go back and you look at some of the booking that Dusty quote unquote booked himself in, like he's the booker at the time. The Road Warriors are a huge act for the NWA. Mm-hmm. They are they are helping draw the houses along with them and the four and the four horsemen. Absolutely. So what, what does Dusty do? Dusty books himself <laughs> with the top tag team. And then they go around and they face the horsemen and like, you know, six man tags or whatever. And it's just like, you, you don't, you, you, you're not, no offense, but you're not really drawing the house here. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. 
But as a guy who's booking, I don't blame that fucker at all. Oh, I don't blame. We would all do the same. Yep. Uh, we we'd all do the the same, but we're not uh, like. I don't. I don't know. I just don't see him being. Like, I I don't get it. Why he's talked about as one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. I I just don't see it. Dude, I love it. I'm so happy you had one too. Because I didn't want to just. I didn't want the end of this podcast just to feel like I was hating on Bret Hart and Kurt Henning or anything. I love like. Because it's all preference, right? Like, I'm sure if we grew up in the 70s, we'd look at him differently, but... For sure, and I know a thousand people are going to hate on us for our opinions for it. Oh, yeah. I love it, though. Like, I just love... Because people perceive things differently, and I just... Like, my favorite rest... Like, Shawn Michaels, I just think, is one of the greatest of all time. He has just as many haters as he does probably people that fucking love him. And right. I can watch his matches and be like, I'm pretty sure that was perfect. And then other people will be like, I fell asleep 10 times. So I, I love it. That I think that's kind of the fun with wrestling and what keeps it interesting is like, there's no, um, there's no absolutely right anything. Right. It's whatever, it's whatever your preference is. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you, if you like this, you like that, whatever, whatever it's going to be, that's how... You know, that's how you're going to perceive it. Yeah, that's it. And, like, we're talking about some of the greatest technicians of all time with Kurt Henning, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels. Yet, possibly the greatest match of all time is Hogan Rock from where you played football from WrestleMania X8. And That's right. I was at X8. See, it's so I lied about being at WrestleMania X8 up until about four months ago. <laughs> you just decided to come clean? I, and I finally came clean. <laughs> and it just... Well, tell me your story, because I've been listening to people's stories for years about how they were there, and then I'd take little bits and pieces and then tell other people, inclu- like, using bits that I've heard and say it, because I always heard the building shook and whatnot when Hogan came out and started hulking up. But Oh, oh there is nothing that I can equate to that feeling. Like, you, I had goosebumps when that happened, because every when he came out, Everybody wanted the red and yellow. Yeah. I don't know why. There was, like, no inclination as to, um, like, there, there was no, like, storyline buildup that he was going to do that or anything like that. But for whatever reason, like, the last time he was in the Sky Dome for a big match was against Warrior. So we're all thinking, like, I don't know. It took us back to, like, 1991 where, like, we're getting the red and yellow. It just felt ap- apropos that he would. Because I remember watching it from home and being like, he's coming out of Hulkamania. Yeah. And, you know, and then, but when he came out and, like, the crowd was so, like, like, Rock got a pop, too, when he came out, but everybody was behind Hogan, no matter what. And, you know, for Hogan to be that good, to be able to flip on a dime like that, to change whatever they had for yeah. their match and be like, no, we're going to go this way now. I know, man. It's so wicked. And it really does hold up. Yeah. Like, that is pro wrestling to me, I think. Like, I juggle with this sometimes because I love the athleticism. How many many freaking dives did they do? That's it. They don't do fucking anything. Right. Like, it's just... They had 67,000 going absolutely nuts. Yeah, that's what it's about. Like, I remember talking to somebody years and years ago about psychology and, like, telling a story... And I can't remember who said it, but they said psycho- all psychology is is getting the crowd to react 
It doesn't matter if you're out there thumb wrestling. If they're loving it, you're doing your fucking job. And that really turned a light on for me. I have two questions for you here. Yep. Okay. Uh, one, what do you prefer to work, heel or baby? Uh, on, I think baby. Okay. And who, I guess, who, have you, well, you've obviously done the heel. It, who is the best baby face you've ever been in the ring with? Um, whew, that's a tough one. I'd say Alessandro Del Bruno. Okay. He's definitely one. He's probably the best baby face that, like, fights from under. Yeah. Anyone else come to mind? Hmm. On the spot, this is terrible. Uh, Diener's definitely up there. That's that, that's my guy. Yeah, right yeah. Diener is and incredible. I've, I've worked him a bunch, and... He is so, like, I can equate him to almost, like, not, I'm not saying he's Hulk Hogan, but, like, he can get, he gets, he has the fans all behind him where you don't have to do much. Yeah. And the heat's on him, but the kids are going absolutely nuts when he's making his comeback. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's, uh, and, he's got it all, man. I really enjoy Diener. I, I yeah, I really enjoy working with Diener, and he's awesome in the like he's awesome in the ring. And he, I'll, I'll take DDTs all night. Oh yeah, for that reaction, damn right. Yeah. So it, it, like that's uh, that that's awesome. Like working him and just like as a heel and just for to elicit that response. Like I, I'll never be at the level of a Hulk Hogan or The Rock. But to get some of it, like, to, just to hear the crowd pop like that is awesome. No, completely. I had, like, a little uh, program with him at Smash Wrestling. Yep. And uh, I was I always knew Diener was unreal, but we had never touched, I don't think, ever. And I was a heel at Smash, and we worked, I think, three gimmick matches, to be honest. I can't quite remember. It was two or three matches, but a few of them were gimmick matches. And Smash is more of, like, uh, like an independent style wrestling style not you know what i mean like a fast-paced independent is what i'm trying right. to get at you yep. know it's kind of more like uh move heavy match quality like heavy kind of show and when right. i heard i was gonna work diener i was just like okay this will be i knew it was gonna be good i just thought it was gonna be more of uh his style match if that makes mm -hmm. sense and i don't mean this to sound derogatory I, or anything I, 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 no, no, I know what you mean. Because I'm a fucking, like, get my shit in as much as I can type guy. I know it is. I'm a spot monkey. I'm well aware. I'm fine with it. And he came in and he put together basically my style of match, but he put it together properly. You know what I mean? Like, it was like a smash style match, getting all the shit in and stuff, like move heavy, whatever it may be, but made it all make so much more sense. And I was just like, fuck. Is there anything this fucking guy can't do? Like, I almost wanted him to fail to realize, like, he's human. But I was like, no, he's yeah. just got every... He can do the fair shows, which is an art in itself. He can do, like, the family-friendly shows. He can do the old-school shows. He can do the new-school shows. Like, he's on Impact now. Like, the guy can fucking right. do everything. He really is incredible. And that kind of just opened up our relationship because we, we never really had one. And sometimes when you work each other, that just opens up the relationship and you start talking. And sure. we've had some, like, great talks in the back just talking about like what inspires us and whatnot. And 
he works his way because he was inspired by these certain guys. And I work my way because I'm inspired by this certain guy. And that's the style we want to kind of show off. It's it, He's right. a really cool guy. Yeah, he's awesome. And like like we were saying, just like crowd reaction. Like You want to talk about a guy that comes out and gets, gets a reaction. Like I went, And the, the only other reaction I would equate to his was I remember working a C4 show yep. in Ottawa and uh, TVT came out. I knew you were going to say it before you said it. And I was just like, holy shit, is this the Road Warriors? Yeah, for real. Like, these guys are over. And I was just, and, but they had, they were working the fraternity and they did, um, I think it was a blow off to a feud. And I was like, you could just do a normal match and like the people would fucking go nuts for these guys. Yeah. They got everything down to a science there. Like, they just know their character and know their verbiage, know their walk. They are, I love those guys. I don't bring them up enough on this podcast. And outside of the ring, great fucking dudes, too, which makes everything better. Awesome, awesome guys. Yeah. I, I, I could wrestle those guys every day of the week. Yeah, they are. And they can put a match together like nothing. And it's super professional, too. Yep, just, yeah. For real, I'm so happy you brought those guys up because I really, genuinely love those guys. All right, dude. Sorry. I I want to let you go, to be honest. Oh, okay. Uh, but this has been really fucking great. Uh, I learned a ton. This is kind of like the fun about the podcast. I knew you're an interesting guy. I had no idea it was going to be this good, and uh, you were so great in sharing all your experiences and stuff. I really do. Appreciate yeah, all that, man. man. Like, thanks for having me on, dude. Anytime. This was an easy conversation. I think we're going on two hours right now. Like, easy as pie. I could talk about wrestling all day. I could shit on Bret Hart all day too. That was fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, last thing, yeah. uh, I need a song. Well, this, any reason? This is the favorite part of the podcast for me. Yeah, any reason? Whatever song you want as the outro to this episode. Uh, I want. Bad Boys for Life by P. Diddy. Beautiful. Beautiful. And what about, um, where can everybody reach you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm the real John Atlas on Instagram, John Atlas on Facebook. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. And always looking for bookings. Always looking for bookings. I love that. Please. <laughs> we'll get ours soon. I, I know a place. Uh, uh, you know a place? You know a guy? I know a Brown, guy. Is he listening? It's going to happen. Yeah, he's, I told you, he's my only listener. He listened to the Trent Gibson podcast 12 times. 12 times? Yeah. That guy. Well, maybe he'll, he'll give me a lesson here. <laughs> All right, dude. sorry for a brother. Give him a book. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a blast. Uh, you're the best. Can't wait to see you next time. And, uh, Likewise, man. Yeah, dude. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye.
pushing up. Half man, half drugs, ass to clubs, bad boy, that's what's up. After bucks, crush crews after us. No games, we ain't laughing much. Nothing but big things. Check the hit list, how we twist shit, what changed with the name. We still here, you're rocking with the best. Don't worry if I write rhymes, I write checks. Who's the boss? Dudes is lost. Don't think cause I'm iced out, I'ma cool off. Who else but me? And if you don't feel me, that means you can't touch me. It's ugly, trust me. Get it right, dog. We ain't never left. We just move in silence and rep to the death. It's official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama, the saga continues. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. I push it down with the Harlem heat All of a sudden niggas got a problem with me Black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat And you know what? What? For some strange reason I want for this medication Feeling deranged meeting For y'all to put the word out We ain't leaving We trying to be rich before we all stop breathing Therefore, we kind of hustle lanes Stay laying down our muscle games Still turn niggas dreams to flames You got the wire? If not, I ain't saying no names. You soon expire. No pain. I feel remorseless. Of course, it's me and Diddy up first. Raising portions with the big twin valve exhausted. On the cover of your vibes. Double X sounds and sauces, bitch. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. Cause it's bad boy for life. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't. Hey, how you doing? Puffy or Diddy P Papa? Papa Papa Diddy Pop? I'm sorry, I don't know what you're calling yourself these days, but uh, Mr. Daddy. Listen, glad you're here in the neighborhood. Welcome. Uh, but this golf ball through the window? It's not gonna fly, alright? That happens once, then it doesn't happen again. Understand what I'm saying? Sorry, dog, okay? Just want to clear that up because I'm a big fan. I love your music. Enjoy the whole, you know, I love that whole thing. All right, good. And listen, uh, if you have one of your crazy uh, house party things, shout me a holla dump. It ain't shit changed since the notorious. See, everything's still glorious. We still got warriors, still be the victorious. See, it's a lot of them, but it's more of us. Still got cash to blow, raps to flow. Still them cats to know, pack to flow, that's for sure. Bottles to pop, joints to rock. Play the background, handle my jock, holding my glock. Money to get. Cost to flip, boss to sit at and sip cognac with juice to drip. Hoes to see, make sure and they knowin' it's me. Drop that D, can't believe that I am C. Bad boy to the casket drop. Gotta love it, place nothing above it. It's on like that. Don't believe we ain't going like that. For always gonna be here. We there, every motherfucker's here. We
stay right here Forever and ever He's ever We ain't going nowhere We gonna stay right here We ain't going nowhere We gonna stay right here For life Cause it's bad boy for life. Damn, there goes the neighborhood. P. Diddy! Miss Johnson, <laughs> had a good time last night. Yeah, I saw you shaking that ass. Yes, I was. Hi, right, girl.